Welcome to Fringe with Benefits. This is the introduction of the show where I toot my own horn, explain who I am and why I'm here. Stacy is my name, don't wear it out. Kid of the 80s, now a mother of teens, still the same shit kicker I was growing up in California, but a lot smarter and with a long way to go. I do not want to keep mentioning my naked and afraid thing all the time. Uh, Everyone knows, and if you haven't, see season six and season two of XL. Otherwise, I'm just going to leave it at that. If you want to talk about it, we'll talk about it. But it's annoying for me to keep talking about it (laughs) in my introduction. Still a fan favorite, but with a new and greater purpose. So I can come to you to scramble your brain on all things anomalous, peculiar, weird, and abnormal. Let's get down to business, shall we? Find me at my social medias, Fringe with Benefits Facebook page, Fun Times over there, psych. (laughs) Inward Survival's Facebook page, All Good Feels, and Self-Improvement there. My Facebook fan page, at Stacey Leosorio, All Things Stacey. My Twitter, at Stacey Fringe. Want to hear me talk more shit? Get harassed by Twitter for trying to cuss out the Clintons? That's where you'll find me. My Instagram is at golden underscore Valkyrie underscore. I have seen the best content on Instagram, actually. I'm here much more than I used to be, and you can find me no problem. And YouTube is at golden Valkyrification. Like I said, I still boycott them. Well, actually, a little less now. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to be nice. Go subscribe. Rumble is golden Valkyrie. I love Rumble. You definitely have to go over to Rumble. I really like their platform. BitChute, Golden Valkyrie is the channel. I don't have any content there, but I'm working on it, guys. Maybe I'll maybe I'll be inspired. Parlay, back in your app store, like I said before, at Golden Valkyrie. There's MeWe. There's Gab. You can find me there. A Telegram channel. That is the place for the non-stop truther content. That is where, you know, you know, anything I see that I think is kind of fun and interesting, I push through to that channel because I really like Telegram. It's, it's like this uh, never-ending stream of insane information. So subscribe to that channel over there. You'll see everything that I, you know, I thumbs up pretty much. You can find me on Mines. That's Golden Valkyrie. And there are a few more social media outliers. Haven't signed up for them yet. Been really busy. But let's support some other platforms, like I said, and feel free to make suggestions for me and the podcast for sure. For ways to donate to the nonprofit and my personal blog, go to inwardsurvival.com. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, go give me a rating and review. The more ratings and reviews, the more the podcast is seen and suggested. So go do that. Share the show. Let's do the disclaimer. I'm not for everyone, and some people may be repulsed by my thoughts and chosen content. If you think they'll be grossed out and that's not what they're looking for, then don't share. But otherwise, share. Fringe with Benefits Anchor homepage, you can click the support the show button. There are options for a monthly donation. 50% of of all of that goes towards Inward Survival. Show has a Patreon now. I did my first post on Patreon. And, you know, we'll we'll see. But if you want to go over and subscribe to Fringe with Benefits on Patreon as I explore a whole new option for connecting with people, I think I may actually like this platform, but I would not be surprised if I'm already flagged and or shadow banned. We will see. Might take me down before I even get started. Thank you to our subscribers and thank you for the support. I'm so appreciative. Remember, if you support the show, you're supporting Inward Survival and that's a good thing. 
Time for the accountability segment. Sorry I missed you for two weeks. My son graduated from high school a couple weeks back. I'm not ashamed to say I bawled from the moment I sat down until the end of the ceremony. I cannot express how grateful I am to his hard work and to his school district for pulling for those kids to have a semi-normal high school experience. So they had a prom, they had a graduation with little to no restrictions, and I honestly could not have asked for more. On the other hand, my youngest child's school district is closed, the entire district. It's a different experience for my youngest, and that's a different story. It's been great having a couple of weeks off. It's given me a lot of time to focus on work and family, and even we did a ghost hunt at Fort Warden. All that is over for now. It's time to forge on and get shit done. Happy to be here. I've had some time to reflect on the show, and I feel like it's your turn to email me or connect on the socials and tell me what you want to hear about. So engage with me, and let's get the conversation started. Let's address one thing, online trolls, those people who try and debunk everything you put out there or tell you that you're irresponsible for sharing something that may not be true, spreading disinformation or misinformation, that you're dangerous to society, that you should fully research the legitimacy of each and everything. Um, No, we do not. It's each person's own responsibility to exercise discernment and decide for themselves if there's enough evidence. I guess there's a couple case in points. One's health. One's health is one's own responsibility. I am not responsible for the health of my neighbor. I may be responsible for the health of my child, but that's that's a different story. I am not responsible for the health of another adult. And another case in point is cryptid sighting stories. Do we have to verify these before we share? It's about sharing information that might be useful and or entertaining. So ignore that shit. Information should not should be completely free and open. Even the outlandish stories and the audience cannot blame their confusion and fear on the storyteller. As your twit master extraordinaire in the arena of fringe information, allow me to describe some annoying things I do as I listen back to these. Um, So for other podcasters, what do we do with these mouth sounds that are kind of like ASMR but also really disgusting? And when people eat and make sounds during recording, I can't, I just can't, and I fucking won't. It's repulsive. And I, I do it sometimes. <laughs> I try to edit all that out. It's gross. So I'm not going to do that. You don't do that either. When I'm telling a story and I use um, the pronouns instead of the person's name, that's very confusing for the listener. So I'm talking about two different people and I address them both as she or her. And that, you know, I should be using their names because it's fucking confusing for people listening if they don't clarify which person they're talking about. So I apologize for that and I will be more specific in the future. There is so much room for improvement. I don't really care, but I I actually do. So we should all try to be better. And that's me doing my part. Stacy's socials have been pretty interesting this week, guys and gals. First, I want to talk about this uh, gimpy, gimpy plant in Australia. This fucking thing, it can make your nose bleed just by standing next to it. So I wanted to tell you guys about it. This is the dendrosnide. That's not right. Dendrosnide (laughs) moroides. It's a member of the nettle family. It's quite notorious in the plant world for its painful sting. And it has many common names. These are the common, common names. Stinging brush, mulberry-leaved stinger, 
Gimpy Stinger, the Suicide Plant, or Moonlighter. It's native to the rainforests of Australia and also found in parts of Indonesia. The stinging apparatus of the Gimpy Gimpy is similar to common stinging nettle, which we all know and love. It's gnarly stuff, but also makes a really good tea, and you can eat it if you boil all those nasty hairs off of it. These hairy filaments I just mentioned cover the plant's stems, leaves, fruits. There's a small bulb containing a substance when it's broken, releases a neurotoxin that stings as it goes into the skin. I guess furry animals are not bothered by nettles, but humans experience some hardcore symptoms. The gimpy gimpy's effect is much more intense than the common stinging nettle. That's why we're talking about it. It's crazy. You can even breathe in the hairs when you're nearby, causing a runny nose and nasal bleeding. So that's if you're working in your yard and you're clearing brush and you don't know that that stuff is bad. The toxicity of the gimpy gimpy plant was first recorded in 1866 when a road surveyor reported that his horse was stung by the plants and then it got mad and died within two hours. So it killed a horse. Australian folklore has many stories of horses jumping from cliffs in agony and people resorting to heavy drinking or even suicide. That's why the common name, the suicide plant, because they are trying to escape the pain caused by their contact with this plant. It possesses a strong neurotoxin that causes this crazy rash, small red bumps, they turn into hives, and then a welt, and this can, it can be large or small, but it, it fucking hurts, and it's intense. It can prevent sleep, it can last for several days, and then it can also reoccur over months and even years when exposed to water or temperature changes. So this kind of reminds me of the, the giant hogweed. That stuff, if you get the sap on your skin, will affect you for the rest of your life. And that's why it's invasive and it's dangerous. So be careful and know your hogweed versus your cow parsnips. People who've experienced this pain say that being stung by this plant, this gimpy gimpy, is akin to being burned with acid or electrocuted. Exposure, can <laughs> exposure to gimpy gimpy can cause anaphylactic shock, swelling of the face so severe that the vision is impacted, swelling of the mouth and tongue that makes breathing difficult. Stingers of the gimpy gimpy can remain potent for years after being picked and dried. It's believed that in 1968, in a laboratory in Britain, developing chemical weapons came to Australia to procure specimens from the gimpy gimpy. They wanted to ascertain their usefulness as a biological weapon and possibly distilled the plant's neurotoxins, possibly my ass. This terrifying scenario, which ultimately did not come to pass, this article says, but how do we fucking know? <laughs> this is testament to the plant's dangerous toxicity and the importance of exercising extreme caution if there are any possible poss if there's any possibility of exposure. No kidding, right? Okay, so Stay away from the Gimpy Gimpy if you're in Australia or Indonesia. Keep an eye out for it. Looks like basically a stinging nettle. So, scary shit. And be aware of biological weapons because usually scientists take things in nature and do weird, crazy shit to it. Next is the story about that missing woman in Wenatchee. Remember the Dr. Phil episode I talked about a couple episodes back and the mom the, the mom who thought that her daughter had been killed and um, tortured for adrenochrome. Well, I did a little bit of research and I found some other resources about this story because I was pretty curious. 
So the mom says that it was a ritualistic murder. And just so happens that summer solstice is this week, right? Sunday, Father's Day. And she also said that there are missing persons cases that will increase during these times of year, during these special pagan holidays. All the reports say that local cops said there was no cult presence in that area. And of course, they would say that if there was one, um, there is a little bit of gang activity. Definitely a lot of drug problems, though, you see. She said that people told her daughter, told her that her daughter was burned in a barrel and that they taped it and that it was circling around groups of friends. And she's been hearing these things around town because she's been trying to infiltrate you know, gang members and people that are hanging out with maybe probably her daughter's drug dealers, probably trying to figure out who the fuck took her and what happened. So this girl, Jessie, all the links are below if you want to see. Um, there's a the charity to help look for her. She's on all the, the Washington State sites. And this girl, she was a mom. And she had several mental health challenges. And she was currently in and out of rehab. In the last video that they had of her, she had her head was shaved. She looked strung out as fuck. The person in the video who's taping her tells her that she like needed a sandwich in a bed or something like that. Whether or not she was a ritual sacrifice or a source of adrenochrome, which I think is a little unlikely, but it, shit, I mean, anything's possible. This whole thing is just still really horrid, and she's someone's mother and daughter. I found an, another little source that I wanted to share because I kind of wanted to make fun of it, to be honest. It's a heinous little article by a total narcissist, and it goes really well with our troll theme. It's called... Dr. Phil fails to tell woman her missing daughter was not tortured for adrenochrome. Robin Panaccia, I think that's how you pronounce that. So let's first go to the author's bio. She says she's a brilliant, fabulously talented, and visually stunning angel of a human being who shrugged off to what she is pretty sure would have been a Tony Award-winning career in musical theater in order to write about stuff on the internet. Follow her Twitter at Robin Elise. Okay, well, she must be super talented if she would have had a, an award-winning career in musical theater. Maybe she should stick to musical theater. Okay, so this article. I thought, you know, it's a, she's, I don't know if she's just a contributor to this website. It's called The Wonket, and it says it's an independent news, 100% reader funded, and there's ways to donate. And it's not definitely not unbiased news, for sure, because as I was reading through this, because I genuinely wanted to know what this person had to say about the situation, I, I noticed several things. So this person clearly doesn't like Oprah Winfrey, and she's critiquing Do Dr. Phil as being a protege of Oprah Winfrey, which is pretty much true, and saying that you know, he's being irresponsible because he didn't tell this mom that her daughter wasn't killed by people that were trying to get adrenochrome. Okay. Like she has some kind of inside knowledge, right? So critiquing Dr. Phil that because of all of Oprah's past, you know, indiscretions and connections to evil, he hasn't learned much from Oprah's mistakes. She talks about this woman whose daughter had been missing for four years and that psychics make a lot of money off people with missing children. And that's a pretty big statement. So she says Sherry Woodill of Wenatchee, Washington, has dedicated her life to finding out what happened to her daughter, Jessie Race Rubio Montahano. 
a.k.a. Jesse Grace Moore, who disappeared four years ago at the age of 24. Woodle's other daughter, Brittany, is concerned her mom is going too far and putting herself in danger. Woodle has taken to dressing up as a gang member and going out with multiple guns and knives strapped to her body in order to get in with the gangs and hopefully get information on what happened to her daughter. There's the synopsis. She says that if it were just that, it would just be another Dr. Phil show. We'd get why her daughter was concerned for her safety, and we'd get why she felt she had to do whatever it took to get the information on her other daughter's disappearance. We just feel bad for the whole family in general. But it's not just that. In addition to believing gangs and corrupt police force were involved in her daughter's disappearance, Woodle has become convinced Jesse Grace was taken a part of a satanic cult's rituals, tortured, sacrificed, and harvested for adrenochrome. Woodle then claimed that someone also told her there was a video of Jesse's murder murder and the burning of her body in a barrel and that people were passing it around at parties all over town and that she hadn't seen it. But then she said the police said they had it and that she had seen a little bit of it and the police said they never seen it. Okay, I didn't actually see the entire Dr. Phil episode. This person probably did and that might be true. I have no idea. But this author wants to clarify that, first of all, Lilith is not a pagan holiday. Okay, because she cites the mother on the Dr. Phil show talking about the summer solstice and that the mother says that she believes she was killed June 20th, 2016 because it was a full moon and the summer stole solstice at the same time. And then the next day was Lilith. Lilith is is a holiday that the occult does celebrate and it requires a human sacrifice. So that's what she said. This is her response to that. Okay, let me, I just did that thing. That's what the mom on Dr. Phil said. And this is what the author's critique, the critiquing author's response to that is. She says, first of all, Lilith is not a pagan holiday. Lilith in Jewish mythology is Adam's first wife. Letha is a pagan holiday celebrating the summer solstice, and it does not, in fact, require a human sacrifice. Assume it only requires some crystals, flower wreaths, and a copy of Sarah McLaughlin's Fumbling Towards Ecstasy. Wait, no, that's the Lilith Fair. Well, that was a pretty funny joke. I have to give her that. And she's educating her reader, so I have to really give her that as well. The pagan novice definitely got something wrong on Dr. Phil. No big deal. Let's go on to the next one. She says, second, adrenochrome is not a drug. It doesn't do anything Woodle or any of the conspiracists who believe in it say it does. Its primary use in medicine is to speed up blood clotting. You can buy it online. Decades ago, doctors thought an overproduction of it might be responsible for schizophrenia, which along with its very cool sounding name is probably why it became a popular fake drug in books like Clockwork Orange and fear and loathing in Las Vegas. That theory has since been abandoned. No, it hasn't. This is my response. It hasn't been abandoned, and it has been proven to be a drug. Maybe its primary use in medicine is for blood clotting. Either way, the theory has not been abandoned. So she goes on to say Dr. Phil's entire pushback on this, at least in the part they put online, was that the police department said they never heard of it. That would all be good and well if Whittle were the only person who believed this nonsense, but she's not. The comment section was filled up with loads of people who also believe this crap. She says, It's one thing to treat someone in a lot of pain with compassion. It's another to just gloss over something like this. 
Dr. Phil, who's not an actual practicing doctor anymore, missed a valuable opportunity to not only give this poor woman one less thing to worry about, but either to get through to some people at home who believe in this crap, or at least inoculate others who might then be less susceptible to falling for it. People are out there committing crimes because they believe in this, and he can't take two seconds on his show to explain, or have a scientist explain, what they believe is scientifically impossible. Really? (laughs) And to the title of the segment, Woman Claims Missing Daughter Was Tortured for the Drug Adrenochrome, and then posted on YouTube with nothing explaining that this is not a thing, it's just straight up irresponsible. Quite frankly, it should be shows like Dr. Phil doing this kind of debunking. It shouldn't be people like me or anyone else doing this work right now because there's pretty much no chance that the people who most need to know that it is bullshit are reading anything we write. It should be on daytime television, whatever else these people might watch. Hey, girl, it is. There should be a standard public service announcement featuring a scientist explaining how this is bullshit. Hey, guess what? There is. She goes on to say that the conspiracy and all the others that go along with it are dangerous. It's not like leaving a bowl of cream out for the fairies or believing aliens or that the moon landing never happened. Hey, wait, the moon landing never happening is also dangerous. She goes on to say that there was a second shooter at JFK's assassination or that Elvis is alive. All these things are harmless, right? She says, we live through people with magical powers who love Satan or harming children. Enough times to know that it does not end well or even harmlessly. That's it. So the spread of information never ends well or is never a harmless thing. Okay, so if you, she let, leaves the comments open on her little article. And I read some of them. It was pretty interesting. But one in particular kind of cracked me up. A lot of people making really sick jokes about missing people in adrenochrome. This comment. Thanks for publishing yet another expose of this pedophile adrenochrome nonsense. How can we get all these nitwits some mental health healing? They are so righteous and hateful in what they do and say. We need more pushback. For another thing, YouTube needs to get more responsible about containing their nonsense videos and comments. More pushback. Let's circle back to the summer solstice and missing people. I tried to find the number of missing people in Wenatchee. I just kind of wanted to see. And I really couldn't because I don't really know where to look. Um, I did find the Washington State Patrol site with a list and there's too many currently missing. There's approximately 60 adults and 60 children. So around 120 people see the link attached total mystery. To kind of lighten up Stacy's socials a little bit, I did want to mention that South Park <laughs> did a great episode on the adrenochrome thing, and I suggest everyone interested should probably go find it and hold on to your hats because it's sick as hell, but also really funny as hell. Next is a crazy, <laughs> crazy video of an Arkansas trooper that flips this pregnant woman's car on the highway. It's linked below if you got to see this video. Dash cam reveals that this guy was a dickhead. It's so, the, the fucking title of this thing cracks me up. This shows the trooper allegedly flipping the pregnant woman's car. Give me a fucking break. It wasn't alleged. It, he did it. You see it. It happened. And this poor lady, he could have killed her. 
So the highway, there's no shoulder. And so she turns her hazards on and she's going slow. She's waiting for an exit. And he freaking comes up and does that pit maneuver and, you know, taps the rear end and her car goes flying, hits the center divider and rolls. And then, you know, she's like, I'm pregnant. And he's like, ma'am, you should have stopped. Holy shit. Trending on Twitter. Gotta see it. It's fucked up. And they're probably, he's going to be in trouble for that. God, I hope he's in trouble for that because that's bullshit. Next is this crazy article about a particle that was seen switching between manter, man, between matter and antimatter at CERN. Remember CERN? So all these conspiracy theories surrounding it. Kind of crazy. Who knows? But Oxford physicists analyzing data from the Large Hadron Collider turns out that an unfathomably tiny weight difference between two particles could have saved the universe from annihilation soon after it began. So antimatter, they say, is this kind of evil twin of normal matter, but surprisingly familiar. The only real difference is that the antimatter has the opposite charge. Hmm, it's kind of like the yin-yang thing, right? It means that if matter or an- and antimatter come into contact, they will annihilate each other in a burst of energy. Cool. So to complicate things, it says that some particles, such as photons, which are the light particles, they actually are their own antiparticles. Others have even seen to exist as weird mixture of both states at the same time. Thanks to the quantum quirk of superposition, illustrated most famously throughout the thought experiment of Schrodinger's cat, that means that these particles actually oscillate between being matter and antimatter. Now a new particle has joined this crazy club, the charm meson. Meson. Charm meson. This subatomic particle is normally made up of a charm quark and an up antiquark while its antimatter equivalent consists of a charm antiquark and an upquark. Normally, those states are kept separate, but the new study shows that the charm mesons can simultaneously switch between the two. So I guess these charm mesons are produced at the Large Hadron Collider's proton-proton collisions. They only travel a few millimeters before they decay into other particles. So that they say that this tiny find could have gigantic implications for the universe. According to the standard model of particle physics, the Big Bang should have produced matter and antimatter in equal amounts, and over time, all that would have collided and annihilated, leaving cosmos, leaving the cosmos empty. But that didn't happen, and somehow matter came to dominate. What caused the imbalance? One hypothesis. This could be a major clue that busts open one of the biggest mysteries of science. And that is our reality. Holy shit. And last below is a link of a picture in a Facebook group. I don't know if you guys are going to be able to see it. But this dude shared it in Sasquatch Chronicles Facebook group. And he saw this picture in a Florida group, Skunk Ape. It clearly shows this huge looking hair covered ape-looking thing that's obviously huge, holding a deer like halfway in a stream. If you like Bigfoot pictures, and this is a good one, go look at that. It's linked below. And dudes, if I share it here, then I obviously think that it's kind of important, or at least somewhat entertaining, so check it out. Time for the mailbag, everybody. This is where I read you your mail, I read you your stories, and you send me all your crazy, freaky, 
naughty, whatever stories to fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. This week, I have something pretty fantastic to share with you. There was a post on our local sheriff's department page that I thought was really interesting and pretty important, actually. There was a cold case solved in our area from 2003, which was a kidnapping and rape. Okay, I'm going to read this to you. On June 15th, 2021, the Grays Harbor Sheriff's Office arrested Paul Beaker of Enumclaw for a 2003 kidnapping and rape cold case. In March of 2003, which was when my son was born, the Sheriff's Office investigated a kidnapping and rape that started on Church Road in McCleary, Washington. A 17-year-old female was abducted when she returned home to her residence in her vehicle. The suspect bound the female and loaded her into her own car. The female was taken to an undisclosed location and sexually assaulted. After sexually assaulting the female, the suspect drove her to a location near McCleary and left her in the vehicle. The victim was able to free herself and she returned to her residence where the kidnapping and assault were reported to her father who immediately called 911 to report the crimes. The victim was taken to a hospital to be examined. Investigators collected evidence at the hospital and a DNA profile was eventually obtained for the suspect in the sexual assault. Although an exhaustive investigation was conducted, investigators were not able to identify a suspect. The DNA profile was entered into the nationwide criminal database and was not linked to a known person in the database. In 2010, the prosecuting attorney's office for Grays Harbor obtained an arrest warrant for an unknown person. Way to think ahead, right? This was based on the DNA profile developed from the sample obtained from the victim. So, seven years after the assault, 2010, the prosecuting office had enough gumption to obtain an arrest warrant for somebody that they didn't know who did it yet. And then in December of 2020, Grace Harbor County Sheriff um, Chief Darren Wallace submitted the DNA evidence to a laboratory for genealogy testing. The testing revealed a short list of possible suspects that were believed to be related to the source of the suspect DNA. Investigators learned that Paul Beaker lived in McCleary in 2003 at a residence not far from the victim's residence. They were also also able to identify more circumstantial evidence that linked Beaker to the crime. Grays Harbor Sheriff's Office Chief Wallace and Detective Sergeant Logan surveilled Baker, Beaker, whatever, dickhead, and obtained his DNA from a discarded item. This item with Beaker's DNA, was submitted to the Washington State Patrol Crime Lab for comparison, and it was determined it was a match. Beaker was contacted by the investigators in McCleary and on 6-15-21 taken into custody. The Sheriff's Office is still investigating this case. Due to the nature and the circumstances of the crime, investigators are also looking into the kidnapping and murder case of Lindsey Baum, who went missing on June 26, 2009 in the city of McCleary. Her remains were located in 2018 in Kittitas County in eastern Washington. If anyone has any information that may be helpful in either of these cases, you can call the Lindsey Bomb tip line 360-964-1799 or email bombtips, it's B-A-U-M, tips at co.grays-harbor.wa.us. What a great news story. I mean, it's just that some really great investigative work. They they had the foresight to actually 
for one, get the arrest warrant ahead of time, and two, recheck, cross-compare the database nowadays. And so they were able to get the scumbag off the streets. Now, the the kidnapping and murder of Lindsey Baum, if you drive through McCleary nowadays, there are still huge posters up of her picture, and it says, do you know who murdered me? It's the most heartbreaking thing you'll ever see. And that's still an ongoing investigation. I don't have any details about that, but maybe we'll talk about that case another time. True crime is near and dear to my heart, and anytime they get somebody who's been on the run for a terrible crime like this, it's always, it's great news. So great job, Grays Harbor Sheriff's Office and prosecuting attorney. Don't forget to send me your mail, fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. Our weekly topic this week is, it's going to be one of those fucked up topics again. So just brace yourself. If you need trigger warnings, here's your trigger warning right now. It's not the best topic. I could cover the Yucca Man, which is really, really cool. And maybe we'll do something a little bit more lighthearted next week. But this week, I wanted to talk about a MK Ultra survivor... Kathy O'Brien. If you have seen any of her talks, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Let's quickly go over what the the mainstream says about Kathy O'Brien. According to Wikipedia, Kathy O'Brien was born December 4th in 1957. She's an American conspiracy theorist and author who claims to be a victim of the government mind control program called Project Monarch, which she alleges that was a part of the CIA's Project MKUltra. O'Brien made these assertions in Transformation of America, written in 1995, or sorry, published 1995, and Access Denied for Reasons of National Security, published 2004, both of which she co-authored with her husband, Mark Phillips. According to scholars, there's no credible evidence for O'Brien's claims, and there are numerous inconsistencies with her story. In Transformation of America, O'Brien claims that as a child, she was first sexually abused by her father as well as a network of child pornographers. Supposedly, she was then forced by the CIA to participate in Project Monarch, which she claims is a subsection of Project MKUltra and Project Artichoke. According to O'Brien, under hypnosis, she was able to recall memories of sexual abuse of both herself and her daughter by international pedophile rings, drug barons, and Satanists, who allegedly used to form a trauma-based mind control programming to make her a sex slave. Now, real quick, little segue, I do remember we did talk about the SRA, which is a satanic ritual abuse, and a few episodes back in which they actually do talk about that top type of trauma can cause uh, multiple personality disorder or what they call now dissociative disorder and that they use these techniques to create super soldiers. So just wanted to say. It goes on to say that O'Brien accuses a wide range of prominent individuals from American, Canadian, Mexican, and Saudi Arabian government officials to the stars of the country music scene of being a part of Project Monarch conspiracy to operate sex slave rings and commit child abuse. For example, O'Brien claims that George H.W. Bush and Miguel de la Madrid used holograms to appear to her in an altered form, saying that Bush apparently activated a hologram of the lizard-like alien, which provided the illusion of Bush transforming like a chameleon before my eyes. 
In retrospect, I understand that Bush had been painstakingly careful in positioning our seats in order that that the hologram's effectiveness be maximized. O'Brien's claims that Project Monarch caused her to develop multiple personality disorder, but during alternate personality episodes, she has photographic recall. O'Brien's transformation of America has been credited as originating one of the most significant and extreme mind control conspiracy theories, and her claim of links between satanic ritual abuse and MKUltra have influenced popular conspiracy culture. Religious and political scholars have criticized O'Brien's claims for the lack of any supporting evidence. David G. Robertson characterized them as symptomatic of baseless moral panic and noted that no one has ever been prosecuted of such crimes, nor has any corroborating material evidence been produced. According to scholar Michael Barkin, scholarly and journalistic treatments of MKUltra make no mention of Project Monarch. Barkin describes O'Brien's account as sensational, even by the standards of conspiracy literature, and notes that even black helicopter conspiracy theorist Jim Keith considered it fraudulent or delusional. Jody Dean cited O'Brien's claims as an example of conspiracy theorists' tendency to excessive leaps in imagination and willingness to deviate from the common sense. Kathy O'Brien has authored with her husband three books, Transformation of America, reality, um, published by Reality Marketing. Actually, all of these are published by Reality Marketing, as well as Access Denied for Reasons of National Security and PTSD, Time to Heal. While researching Kathy O'Brien, I came upon this really interesting article about John Benet's Ramsey, which is another unsolved crime that everybody speculates as to what happened to this poor little girl. Timothy Charles Holmseth writes in 2016, How can the rape and abuse of a child be deemed a matter of national security? Kathy O'Brien, a deprogrammed victim and survivor of a CIA mind control program, asked the question that may solve the murder of John Bonet. Millions knew immediately that something wasn't right about the circumstances surrounding her murder. Something was wrong and everyone knew it. Police responded to the Boulder, Colorado home of John and Patsy Ramsey on December 26, 1996 after receiving a 911 call from Patsy who reported she found a ransom note for her kidnapped daughter. Several hours later, John Bonet, six, was found dead in the basement wine cellar by her father. She had been bound, gagged with duct tape, sexually assaulted, systematically asphyxiated, systemically asphyxiated with a sophisticated choking device called a garret, shocked with a stun gun, and suffered a fractured skull. John and Patsy Ramsey said they heard nothing. According to the Ramseys, the horrendous and complicated crime that involved sophisticated torture tool as well as a long rambling ransom note written with a pen from their home all took place inside the house as they slept soundly. Two decades passed. Was John Benet killed by a stranger or by her parents? The question raged. Right into action ongoing investigation has now led to a question that needs an answer. What if? What if John Benet was killed by her parents as well as a third party? Enter Kathy O'Brien and Mark Phillips. Kathy O'Brien is a surviving victim of trauma-based mind control program, and her memories were restored by Mark Phillips, a former U.S. government contractor familiar with the top-secret program used on her. O'Brien observes the evidence of the John Benet Ramsey murder as a result of a torture session involving controlled asphyxiation, electric shock, and sexual assault during a mind control programming session. According to the FBI, the evidence surrounding John Bonet's Ramsey murder did not fit any known profile. Or did it? 
Did the evidence actually fit the profile of a top-secret government program that was subsequently deemed a matter of national security? In an exclusive interview with Right Into Action, Kathy O'Brien discusses astonishing information about the Ramsey murder. How to create a mind-control slave using a stun gun. Alan Dershowitz referred to a military video found in the Ramsey home that was censored under national security, O'Brien told Right Into Action. The revelation is profound. Attorney Alan Dershowitz is a high-profile legal scholar and Harvard professor famous for his work on cases including Patty Hearst, Mike Tyson, Jim Baker, and the O.J. Simpson case. He was also implicated in the pedophile island scandal involving Jeffrey Epstein and Bill Clinton, among others. Indeed, John Ramsey was a multimillionaire affiliated with the military. In 1989, John Ramsey formed the Advanced Product Group, one of three companies that merged to become Access Graphics. He became president and chief executive officer of Access Graphics, a computer services company and a subsidiary of Lockheed Martin. Interesting. O'Brien said she was used in a military video, and a military video was found in the Ramsey home. It was reportedly identified as the military video that I was used in, titled, How to Create a Mind Control Slave Using a Stun Gun. She continued, Dershowitz stated on televised news that the justice would never be obtained in the Ramsey case for reasons of national security. O'Brien then asked the $100,000 question, the abuse and cover-up of that child's death raised the question what national security has to do with the death of a child. Fox News, child abuse resulting in death. In October 2013, Fox News reported Ramsey Grand Jury accused John Benet's parents in death, but prosecutor declined to bring charges. The news report is nothing less than astonishing. Court documents released Friday revealed that in a 1999 grand jury voted to indict John and Patsy Ramsey of child abuse resulting in death and being an accessory to a crime, including murder, in connection with their six-year-old daughter, but a prosecutor declined to sign it, lacking sight of evi- citing lack of evidence. It continued, the grand jury's indictment papers did not indicate who killed the young beauty queen. The charges didn't directly accuse the Ramseys of killing their daughter, but alleged they permitted John Bonet to be placed in a dangerous situation that led to her death. It accused them of helping the killer who has never been brought to justice. They permitted John Bonet to be placed in a dangerous situation that led to her death. Kathy O'Brien said she was born into a multi-generational incest and was sold into the government mind control program by her father after he caught sending after he was caught sending child pornography of her through the US mail. O'Brien said her father was offered the opportunity to escape criminal charges if he sold her into the program. The sale was brokered by Gerald Ford, the man who would later become the unelected president of the United States. My father and John Bonet's father were actually documented together on a ferry ride from Traverse City to Beaver Island, so-called religious center near Charlevoix, Michigan. The Ramseys had had a home in Charlevoix. Also, Patsy Ramsey as Miss West Virginia was associated with my owner, U.S. Senator Robert C. Byrd. O'Brien openly names and implicates very high-profile politicians, including George Bush, Rick Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld, Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, and many others. O'Brien said she was sexually abused by Hillary Clinton. O'Brien said her daughter Kelly has yet to receive rehabilitation for her shattered personality that was programmed through the high-tech sophistication of Project Monarch, which used trauma-based mind-control procedures. 
She said, due to the political power of our abusers, all efforts to obtain her inalienable right to rehabilitation and seek justice have been blocked under the guise of so-called national security. As a result, Kelly remains, remains untreated in the custody of the state of Tennessee. And the question again becomes, how can the rape and the abuse of a child be deemed a matter of national security? She said, it's my patriotic respect for the principles of truth, justice, and ultimately that freedom on which America was founded that compels me to expose the world domination motivations of those in control of our government, commonly referred to as the shadow government. Her mentions of the shadow government is compelling. In 2015, Daniel Kakoa, North Glen, Colorado, was contacted by a special agent of the Denver FBI regarding information she had about Denver Bible Church, DBC. It's a big deal. Daniel Kakoa and her husband, Curtis Kakoa, are defectors of DBC, Denver Bible Church, that fled with their children after realizing Reverend Bob Enhart and Yart The church pastor was a Satanist and a cult leader that was committing murders. The Kokoa's accounts of Enyart being a serial killer are similar to the recollections of O'Brien. In fact, there's a lot of people that have similar stories to O'Brien's, and that is why we're talking about this today. O'Brien said she personally witnessed a figure in the country music industry shoot a homeless man right between the eyes and then cut off his hands. The hands were then given to mercenaries as a mind control cue for what the handlers wanted done. The Kakoas categorically told the Boulder Police Department and FBI that Enyart was involved in the murder of John Benet Ramsey. Enyart is the author of a written manifesto wherein he describes his plan to overthrow the government the Treasonous Manifesto is published on Enyart's website, which is shadowgov.com. In 2013, right into action, right into action, Timothy Charles Holmseth conducted extensive interviews with a victim of satanic ritual abuse. The victim described how at six years old, same age as John Bonet, her father asphyxiator, same as John Bonet, by holding her head underwater in the bathtub while he an- anally raped her, John Bonet was sexually assaulted. She also recalled being rolled up in a large carpet by her father, passed through the basement window, placed in a car trunk, and driven to a location where, men's with ho- with where men with hoods and robes were doing some kind of ritual. Near death by asphyxiation is used during sessions of trauma-based mind control and satanic ritual abuse to create psychological compartments in the human mind for what was known as multiple personalities, now known as dissociative identity disorder. The content of Timothy Holmseth's interviews with the victim were memorialized and time-stamped on YouTube in a rough acoustic demos of two songs written immediately after the interviews. The song entitled Vibrate is based upon the victim's recollection that when she was a little girl, she would stand in the mirror and sing for hours because she wasn't sure if she was alive or not. But when she sang, she could feel herself vibrate. Thus, she knew she was there. The song, entitled Turpentine, is based upon something the victim's mother once told her about her father. Those are linked to this article. You can find that below. Next is a blog by Danielle Blumenthal, Ph.D., and it is an opinion piece, so be aware of that. I guess all of this stuff is pretty much opinion because there's not much blatant evidence, but I would say that, I'd say that most of these people would probably sign an affidavit if asked. This is titled, MK Ultra Survivor Kathy O'Brien Accuses Dick Cheney of Human Hunting. 
July 21st, 2020. So this says, this is old news that the media continues to ignore. Kathy O'Brien accuses Dick Cheney, George Bush Sr., and Bill Clinton of human hunting. There's a link to the article. And she states, my introduction to Cheney was in the summer of 1975 in Grey Bull, Wyoming, at a hunting lodge where he was indulging in his favorite sport of human hunting. This military training exercise, referred to as a most dangerous game, was Cheney's sport of choice along with his hunting buddies, George Bush, Bill Clinton, as detailed in my testimony for Congress in Transformation of America. Here is an excerpt. Quote, Dick Cheney had an apparent addiction to the thrill of the sport. He appeared obsessed with playing a most dangerous game as a means of traumatizing mind control victims, as well as to satisfy his own perverse sexual kinks. My introduction to the game occurred upon arrival at the hunting lodge near Gray Bull, Wyoming, and it physically and psychologically devastated me. I was sufficiently traumatized for Cheney's programming as I stood naked at his hunting lodge after being hunted down and caught. Cheney was talking as he paced around me. I could stuff you and mount you like a jackalope and call you a two-legged deer. Or I could stuff you with this, he unzipped his pants, right down your throat, and then mount you. Which do you prefer? Blood and sweat came mixed with the dirt on my body and slid like mud down my legs and shoulder. I throbbed with exhaustion and pain as I stood unable to think to answer such a question. Make up your mind, Cheney coaxed. Unable to speak, I remained silent. You don't get a choice anyway. I make up your mind for you. That's why you're here. For me to make you a mind and make you mine, mind. You lost your mind a long time ago. Now I'm going to give you one just like the Wizard of Oz gave Scarecrow a brain. The yellow brick road led you here to me. You've come such a long way for your brain and I will give you one. The blood reached my shoes and caught my attention. Had I been further along in my programming, I perhaps would have never noticed such a thing or had the capability to think to wipe it away. But so far, I had only been to McDill and Disney World for government military programming. At last, when I could speak, I begged, If you don't mind, can I please use your bathroom? Cheney's face turned red with rage. He was on me in an instant, slamming my back into the wall, with one arm across my chest and his hand on my throat, choking me while applying pressure to the carotid artery in my neck with his thumb. His eyes bulged and he spit as he growled. If you don't mind me, I will kill you. I could kill you. Kill you with my bare hands. You're not the first and you won't be the last. I'll kill you anytime I goddamn well please. He flung me onto the cot type bed that was behind me and there he finished taking his rage out on me sexually. And that's that's the gist of the testimony of Kathy O'Brien. There's a whole lot more where that came from if you're interested in that topic. It's a very difficult topic to read about and to hear about. Therefore, I apologize if it kind of brought you down into a really, really deep, dark hole. But these are things that we all need to consider and look at. Because if there are people and children being abused in this manner... It's everybody's business, and it's everybody's responsibility to stand up and do something. This week's guest spot goes to somebody I found on YouTube a while back. Well, since then, he has definitely been deplatformed on YouTube, so you will find him at BitChute. The link is below. The channel name is Scotty March 10th. I think it's March 10th. I think that's what it means, but it's actually Scotty M-A-R-10. Go check him out. They, Whoever they are, whoever he is, is producing some phenomenal videos all surrounding current events, shows some tweets, all with some great background music, some great old school songs. 
And I, I really highly suggest if you are in the truther community, go follow this guy. If you haven't already followed him in already, the content is fire. Okay, that's all. Welcome to Inward Survival's School of Magic. I attended a webinar by my partner from my 21 day, Lee True, and it was about the rites of passage and stages of life. And so I'm gonna share with you a few notes that I took and an article that I found about rituals and rites of passage that are well known in our society. Our life is a series of these little rituals and ceremonies. They all have significance. Some of them we share, some of them we share less of. And so, for example, the stage of adolescence into adulthood with puberty and graduations and things like that. And a rite of passage is pretty much a ritual, a ceremony of sorts. Lee talks about that parents usually aren't the ones that would facilitate a rite of passage for their own children. They would leave that to other members of the community. When you are providing a rite of passage for somebody that you ask the person, you know, what ordeal would they like to choose for their, for their ceremony or their ritual? He talks about there are elements for every rite of passage. There would be chaos, danger, risk, and a cost or a loss. And he talks about punctuated equilibrium and that through these adaptations, there are evolutionary leaps. So in effect, these experiences give us an advantage or at least become us become at least make us become more adaptable to our situation or resilient if you want to go that far accomplishment comes to mind when i think about rites of passage because you're moving into a new stage of life you've accomplished something and you're leveling up you're going to the next stage we all know what this is like and lee really emphasizes that it doesn't have to be performed perfectly or it usually doesn't happen elegantly i'm using his words because he used that word and I think that that is significant. We need to be able, after the fact, to see clearly what we went through and have an internal dialogue about that. You know, sometimes we don't feel like we are good enough or prepared enough. That self-doubt is totally natural. When you're a leader or, or, and or a teacher, you're going to experience that feeling being unsure. And you don't have to be sane to facilitate a vision quest. <laughs> a rite of passage is a transformation ceremony. One's integrity and experience will give them the ability to help others with their transformation practices. Suggest a few readings, and I'm going to share those with you. Soulcraft by Bill Plotkin. Jim Lear, who worked with athletes, and he talks about being able to relax during the in-between points. It was what gave athletes an advantage and how we are internal dialogue, how we talk to ourselves and what we think of ourselves. And that the, um, there's an importance on developing personal credos, contributing to a better, more fervent energy and integrity. The book that Jim Lear wrote is 
leading with character and it helps the reader guide themselves in creating and creating their own story in the world through manifesting character traits and and examining deep values suggesting about 10 minutes of writing every day for about 90 days is a good challenge and in itself is a type of a rite of passage and this reminds me of 75 hard which itself which if you've heard of it is the same it's challenging oneself to the point of difficulty and accomplishing something that you didn't think you really could there were a lot of really precious gems in this webinar i wanted to bring them here to you guys so it's important to mark transitions in your life and if you have any ideas about that i think those are important for you to reflect on or all of us we are gifted with many different experiences in our lives for sure the article i wanted to share is kind of goes with our theme of the entire show which is very unsettling but it's true so here we are truth written by peter prevost the social importance of rites of passage and initiations here we go he says that the word ritual has a negative connotation in our largely secularized society sigmund freud described religious rituals and an as an obsessional neuroses since Freud, rituals are often described as habitual actions that are performed with a false belief that they will change the world. This article shows that initiation rituals, also known as rites of passage, are more than neurotic activities devoid of efficacy. He says a lot of these are performed in religious context, baptisms, but not just in that context. Universities have hazings and graduations. So what is the purpose of a ritual? we have anthropological understanding that is much broader than a meaningless repeated activity. It's a tradition and ordered sequence of actions in which participants achieve a purpose through an interplay between the sacred and the mundane world. These rituals help people to achieve various objectives. So we have communication, reconstitution, like summer solstice, celebrations of the change of seasons reconstitution celebration or memorial we love that one at least i do cleansing come to think of it wouldn't you say that our our hygiene habits and rituals are definitely a cleansing ritual ceremony promotion or protection says the funerals are a rite of protection because they ensure that the soul of the deceased is guided into their life after death. Initiation, rites of passage. This is the guided process of transition. They have multi-layered meanings. The purpose and intent of the ritual can be social or psychological as well as spiritual or religious. French anthropologist Arnold van Gennep is famous for his analysis of rites of passage in his book Les Rites de Passage. <laughs> He knows that these rites include three phases, a separation, a transition, and a reincorporation. You have the preliminal, liminal, and the postliminal stage. Latin word limen is threshold, and the liminal world forms the threshold between the old and the new. 
So the initiation ritual temporarily removes a person from their society, transforms them, and places them back into the community in a changed state. So that's what Lee was talking about, in which he talks about everything that we do in some form of another, we come out on the other side of it in a changed state, whether it's a workout or a meal, really anything. So first we have separation. This is removing the initiate symbolically or physically from the world they they currently form part of. The separation phase can also include modifying or modifying or even removing body parts such as tattoos or circumcision. Then there's the transition. This is the phase where the initiates are instructed on the responsibilities of their new life stage. And then reincorporation, the initiate is confirmed into his or her new status, it crosses the threshold, and in some rites, this may include spitting on the new member or investing the candidate with a new name, clothes, rings, tattoos, or other identifying marks. This publicly announces the individual belongs to the new group or the new status. So I don't know if you guys are connecting two and two with what we talked about earlier and what we're talking about now in which our society just innately practices ceremony. This article goes into the ritual of graduation, which I thought was really interesting, and then hazing and other profane initiation rituals, which there's a lot of them. Speaking of profane, we talked a little bit about that earlier. This act is not magic in the sense that the ceremony has an ethereal atmosphere, but magic in the literal sense of the word. The conferring of the degree in its very essence, a mystical moment. This article is very well written, beautifully written, in fact. The name of this website is horizonofreason.com, and at the very end of it, I thought this information was very useful, it's titled Rites of Passage and the Horizon of Reason. It says some scholars like Robert Brain stress the psychological importance of rites of passage. Brain asserts that Western societies do not have initiation at puberty to mark the path to adulthood. Without a ritualized path to adulthood, we have disturbed teenagers and infantile adults. At the age of 18, teenagers are magically converted into adults through statute law. Brain is, however, wrong in assuming that Western culture does not have any rites of passage. Besides the religious rites of passage, such as practiced in the Catholic Church, there are numerous examples rites of passage in Western secular culture. The rituals may be less ceremonial and without the intent of actually being an, an initiation, but the psychological drive is still apparent. Most notable difference between secular rituals and examples come from other cultures is the intent of the activity. The intent. We've talked about this. I know we have. Secular initiations are informal and participation is voluntary, just like Lee said. In postmodern Western society, one can choose to marry or decide to be buried formally. In many other cultures, you are not a human being unless he has undergone the rites of passage appropriate for his age and sex. For these people, there is no choice to participate in the ritual or not. Studying at university is a certain way of a three or four initiation to eventually become a member of the academic community. 
This article describes how the threefold structure of rites of passage can still be found in contemporary society. Even though the spiritual aspects of ritualistic behaviors are no longer relevant in an atheist society, our psychology benefits from the structures that evolved over thousands of years ago. Initiation rituals exist on the horizon of reason. There is no quantitative difference between the initiative and the initiated, but a qualitative improvement to their lives. Academic rituals are only a few examples of how these millennia-old psychological structures persevere even when their religious context is no longer relevant. I think this person may... English might be their second language. I don't know. Pretty good. Very enlightening. And that's it. What sort of rite of passage are you going through right now? Our Stoic Thought of the Week goes to Carl Jung, and he said, We cannot change anything until we accept it. Condemnation does not liberate, it oppresses. Man needs difficulties. They are necessary for health. And one does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light but by making the darkness conscious. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for joining me. See you next week.